This was truly an iconic moment in wrestling history. Fans had waited almost a decade and a half and many fans thought it would just never happen but at the Survivor Series in 2014, Sting finally debuted in WWE. WWE's intentions were clear, it would be Sting versus Triple H at WrestleMania and that match didn't look bad on paper but little did fans know at the time that Sting's appearance in WWE would bring out the very worst in some of the company's personnel. Sting's long anticipated run in WWE would stir up feelings in some people that had laid dormant for well over a decade ever since the Monday Night War had finally come to an end. In many ways, Sting was the last of his kind in wrestling. For literally decades, he stood by his decision to never wrestle for WWE. While WCW was in existence, there was no need for him to even think about the WWF because he'd stuck with Ted Turner's wrestling promotion through thick and thin. He was one of WCW's few original superstars after all. Even Ric Flair had briefly joined the WWF back in 1992. That loyalty with WCW was well placed. After making his wrestling debut alongside Jim Helwig, aka The Ultimate Warrior, in the mid-1980s, Sting got his big break when he joined Jim Crockett Promotions in 1987. As Ted Turner threw his might behind creating his own wrestling brand, JCP became World Championship Wrestling and Sting was the good-looking young white meat babyface that was perfect as the figurehead for the company. Sting had already proven himself in thrilling matches against Ric Flair and in the years that followed he won the World Heavyweight Championship multiple times in contests against the likes of Lex Luger, Vader and the Great Muta. Those early years in WCW were rocky but Sting stuck with the company through thick and thin from the highs of championship matches against Flair to the lows of having to team up with the likes of Robocop. And yet Sting weathered the storm and dutifully carried on. As Eric Bischoff took the helm of WCW as executive producer in 1993, he slowly started turning the company around. Despite some missteps, Bischoff made radical on-screen and off-screen decisions about the company that led to it becoming a legitimate number two contender to the WWF rather than a distant second place. Bischoff certainly recognised Sting for being one of WCW's most important players, but the arrival of Hulk Hogan in the company upset the balance for everyone. Hogan, as a major wrestling icon, was immediately positioned as the top star of WCW, which led to a shift in focus towards him and his storylines. While Hogan was a disruptor in WCW, his signing alone didn't catapult WCW ahead of the WWF in terms of popularity in quite the way that Bischoff had hoped for. Despite Hogan being the biggest wrestling star in the world during the previous decade, fans were generally bored of his act. Hogan shockingly turned heel and formed the NWO with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And then WCW quickly became the hottest wrestling promotion in the world. As wrestling became cool again, Sting with his fluorescent face paint looked like he was stuck in the 80s. Thank goodness then that he was also part of the master plan. In the storyline battle between the NWO and WCW, the decision was made to take Sting, who was very much on Team WCW, 
WCW out of the equation for a while. He disappeared from WCW television, leaving the fans to wonder why he'd left them high and dry. He would later re-emerge in 1996, adopting a darker persona inspired by the 1994 film The Crow. The new Sting wore black and white face paint and he took to silently watching the events of WCW unfold from the rafters. This sombre, mysterious version of Sting became a symbol of WCW's resistance against the invading force of the NWO, with his character's evolution perfectly capturing the mood and the tone of this new era of wrestling. It was a masterstroke change of gimmick and the version of his character he would adopt going forward long term. The likes of the NWO and the Crow version of Sting helped wrestling become cool again. They helped WCW become the number one wrestling company in the world, leaving the WWF in the dust. Sting's entire WCW career was illustrious. He held the tag team titles, the US title and the world heavyweight title on multiple occasions throughout the 90s. Through WCW's prosperous times and the hard times too, unlike so many other superstars of the time, he remained loyal right until the end. And then WCW finally came to an end when Vince McMahon bought its carcass in 2001. The WWF had won the battle for American wrestling supremacy. Throughout the 2000s, all of WCW's biggest stars appeared in WWE. Despite WWE having won the wrestling war, there was a lot of ingrained bitterness towards those former WCW wrestlers, with the booking often portraying them as inferior and featuring them in storylines that didn't do justice to their abilities or their legacies. Triple H was the worst offender, as he famously seemed to take pleasure in cutting the legs from under his former WCW counterparts in the likes of Booker T, Scott Steiner and Bill Goldberg. Throughout the 2000s, the olive branch was extended to Sting by WWE. He would have undoubtedly made a lot of money, and there was a match on the table that fans were desperate to see. It was the dream match that 90s kids had been talking about for decades, from the schoolyard to the internet forums. It was Sting versus The Undertaker. Unfortunately for the fans, Sting was otherwise occupied, as he had a sweet deal with TNA. It's hard to picture today, but fans once hoped that TNA would become a close number two promotion to WWE, almost like a replacement for WCW, and in 2006, it looked pretty damn likely. In October 2005, Impact moved to Spike TV, which was WWE's former channel, and the roster was full of stars and talent. Kurt Angle, Jeff Jarrett, Christian, along with emerging talents like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels were all appearing on the show on a regular basis. All in all, it was a great time to be a TNA fan. Sting gave an interview in 2008 where he discussed why he didn't sign with Vince McMahon. He said, I was watching what Vince was doing storyline-wise with WCW against the WWF and the hostile takeover thing. That whole deal. I'll never forget Booker T making his first appearance on their show and he came into the ring, guys were flying all over the place. And then The Rock comes into the ring and guys were flying all over the place. And then they come back to back and The Rock turns around and The Rock looks at Booker T and says, Who are you? That one little comment is all it took to just bury somebody like Booker T. 
Let's let the world know that you're a WCW guy and you're a peon here. After all the years I'd put into wrestling up to that point, it seemed like a gamble to me. I didn't trust how I would be used. WWE had reached out to Sting on numerous occasions over the decade, but he knocked them back every time. The most notable occasion was in 2011. In an interview, Sting revealed that WWE offered him a match against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 27, as well as an induction into the Hall of Fame. He once again reiterated that he just didn't trust WWE to book him correctly, and so he passed on the offer. It would later transpire that Sting had every reason to be nervous about signing with Vince McMahon. Sadly, the glory years for TNA weren't going to last. In truth, they never managed to capitalise on their 2006 success and interest in TNA declined over the following years. By 2014, the promotion was a shadow of its former self and Sting was getting restless. Many fans never thought they'd see the day that Sting would appear in WWE. He'd held out for so long. 14 years had passed since WCW died and it was believed that Sting would stand by his convictions and never appear for the company. A profile appeared on WWE.com and then Sting made an appearance in a WWE Network documentary about The Ultimate Warrior. But the biggest news was when WWE released a DVD chronicling Sting's career and he was included in the WWE 2K15 video game. Sting himself even appeared in a promotional video and then WWE Shop started selling Sting merchandise. It wasn't until the 2014 Survivor Series that Sting would make his spectacular entrance into the WWE's ring, shocking the authority and setting off a feud with Triple H. In the storyline, the authority had been running roughshod over the WWE roster for months, and in reality, the fans were bored. The Survivor Series match had been a 5-on-5 elimination between Team Cena and Team Authority. If Team Authority lost, they would be removed from power. Or that was the promise anyway. Sting appeared at the top of the show and won the night for Team Cedar. He even got a cool new nickname, The Vigilante. It was a strong start for Sting in WWE and the fans popped huge for him. After months of putting up with the shenanigans of the authority, here was Sting apparently ready to disrupt things. Triple H challenged Sting to meet him face to face in the ring at Fastlane. This is where those old sentiments about WCW started to rear their ugly heads the lights dimmed and music played. Then a video began to play on the Titantron, the lights went out and when they returned, a fake sting was in the ring. The video on the screen concluded with the words, I accept. There was undeniably a sense of dread amongst the fans. The WWE versus WCW story had been told several times since 2001 and it always ended the same way, with WWE winning in the end. At Fastlane, Triple H went on to claim that Sting was the face of WCW, the company that Triple H had helped to dismantle 14 years before, and that Sting had always avoided WWE because he knew that Triple H would personally expose him. Triple H admitted that he admired Sting's dedication to WCW, even as it sank. He said that Sting could live on forever through the WWE network and DVDs, and could even be inducted into the Hall of Fame. He declared that 2015 could be Sting's biggest year yet or 
they could do it the other way, and if Sting continued to disrespect him, he'd be erased from history. Triple H attempted a cheap shot on Sting and then reached for his sledgehammer. Sting countered by whipping out his iconic baseball bat. Sting forced Triple H to cower in the corner as he pointed to the WrestleMania sign. Sting came out of the Fastlane confrontation looking incredibly strong. Once again, WWE didn't do his character dirty, not yet anyway. They allowed Sting's character to match the same one that we used to love back in 1997. Baseball bat and all. That would be the peak of Sting's character in WWE and it all went downhill from here. At WrestleMania 31, it would be Triple H versus Sting in a no disqualification match. The first half of the match was typical of Triple H's latter career efforts. It was slow and lumbering for the most part. Sting had Triple H in the Scorpion Deathlock, which prompted DX to rush into the ring. While Sting fended off Billy Gunn, Road Dog, and X Pac, the NWO appeared to intervene on Sting's behalf. The NWO fended off DX, but then Shawn Michaels appeared and hit Sting with a sweet chin music. Triple H found his sledgehammer and attacked Sting, finishing him off once and for all. Triple H and Team WWE had beaten the last remaining WCW superstar. What a surprise. The match itself was an interference-filled mess, and it made no logical sense. For a significant portion of Sting's career, he had fought against the NWO, not alongside them. Plus, fans knew about the Click. Most of the NWO and DX members were best friends in the Click anyway, so the conflict during this match didn't make any sense, and it didn't feel genuine. What followed WrestleMania was a disappointing washout too, as Sting entered into a feud with Seth Rollins. Rollins was the World Heavyweight Champion at the time and was still a full member of the Authority. It made sense for Sting to go after Rollins under those circumstances, but it would have made a hell of a lot more sense had he beaten Triple H at WrestleMania. The Night of Champions match between the men would prove to be a turning point for Sting's WWE run, but not in the way that anyone had hoped. During the match, Rollins executed a turnbuckle powerbomb on Sting, causing him to suffer a legitimate neck injury. Ultimately, Rollins retained his WWE title, and the match marked the end of Sting's brief in-ring career with WWE. It was the right thing for Sting to do to put over the younger Seth Rollins, but it just didn't hold any weight because Sting was already a loser in WWE. Just like we saw with Scott Steiner and Goldberg before him, Sting got off to a great start in the company. The vigilante angle was really good, the fans popped huge when he first appeared, and yet certain players in the company obviously couldn't let the past go. But who was this sentiment coming from? It's easy to point the finger at Triple H, but in a 2016 interview, Sting said, I always had this feeling that Vince wanted me more to undermine WCW than he did as a talent. They put Sting in the Hall of Fame in 2016, where he announced his retirement from wrestling. In the end, we never got to see the match that had been anticipated for decades, which was Sting versus The Undertaker, that both men were active on the roster at the same time, and we didn't get this match is truly bad booking on behalf of WWE. Sting wanted that match to happen in some capacity too. On the AEW Unrestricted podcast, he said, I didn't want to end 
the way it ended. I was pushing to get a cinema-style match with Undertaker for probably a litany of reasons it just wasn't going to happen. When Tony Khan called and spoke with me, he said, are you interested in doing cinema-style matches? I said, yeah, I am. I'd like to come back and do that and not disappear with my tail between my legs. I don't have to go out on top. I just like to go out in a positive light. Thank goodness for Tony Khan and All Elite Wrestling then, as Sting was given the opportunity to play out the final stages of his career on his own terms. It's just a shame that Vince McMahon couldn't extend him the same courtesy back in 2015.